0: Uh, companies are gonna have to uh, report on their corporate sustainability. Uh, so that's greenhouse, gas emissions, pollution, water use, uh, social responsibility as well, right? And it's, uh, you know, it's huge, it's one of the largest, most ambitious obligatory reporting standards in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, so as you said, it's starting with the big companies, and so this year, and then next year, it will be smaller companies, you have to report on your own, your company, what they're doing. Um, but you also have to look at your value chain, right? So your supply chain. So, um, and that's something that's really important as well, right? So it's not just how you're polluting, but if you're buying something from someone who's polluting, or if you're, you know, um, you 50, maybe you might have, you know, some human rights Abuses in your supply chain as well, and that's something that will come to light. So it's really a huge reporting standard. Welcome to the Urbanista, where we discuss the water management challenges of Nordic cities. From safe drinking water distribution and stormwater collection to building sustainable urban living environments. Here is your host, Delphine Vesalo.
1: No, hey, welcome back, Urbanistas. We are back with another show with the water industry news that you need to know in collaboration with Global Water Intelligence. And with me today, as always, is Talula Lutkin, Utility Performance Editor at JWI. Hello, Talula.
0: Hi, Dolphins. Good to be back.
1: Today, we have a selection of highlights. Actually, that will be super interesting for all of you. A selection of highlights from the recent COP28 in Dubai. And what was the discussion about the water? Hint, hint, there was not too much. The latest on direct potable reuse, the consequences of Europe's new corporate sustainability reporting directive, an update on Germany's large management regulations, and uh, a bit, some some extra topic about uh, water utilities um, in Sweden. That we will go down into that in a moment. So let's get started. Um, so Talula, uh, of course you were, I don't know you personally, but anyway, the team at JWI was present at COP28 in Dubai recently. And it looks like the water topic was a bit or a lot disappointing because there was not to, not the level of discussion that was, that was expected really. And, uh, so tell us more about what was happening from that. What was the discussion, um, from the COP28?
0: Yeah, that's right. So I mean, I think that we're biased as water people, we always want water to be front and centre of everything. And, you know, we say our oh, water is the the key to the climate crisis, which uh, is definitely true, by the way. Um, so I guess COP28 felt a little bit disappointing uh, from that perspective. Um So I wasn't there personally, but my colleague Emily went and I was following the COP from uh, online. So there's actually you can go to a lot of the sessions uh, online. It's a sort of, you know, you don't have to fly and use your carbon uh, impact by flying there. you can actually we follow most of it um, online um so what 's um, you know important to know about cop is that it 's very overwhelming it 's really hard to cut through the noise, a lot of competing interests like everyone comes and so um from that regard it 's hard for any topic to kind of cut through the noise and um, you know, I guess that the good news is that water has been managing to make a place for itself in the last few years. Um, so COP has thematic days. So it's like over two weeks and every day has a different theme. And since 2022, water has actually been one of those themes, right? So there's been a water day at COP since 2022. um, And there's also been a water pavilion. So like a physical space within COP where, um, you know, water industry can kind of come together. Um, And at COP28 this year, the biggest news, I guess, for water was the inclusion of new articles in the global goal for adaptation. So the global goal Mm -hmm. for adaptation uh, was part of the Paris Agreement, but it was quite vague. Um, And now they've kind of made some new uh, additions and some sort of more specific articles Um, and there are sort of new articles that stipulate that countries who've signed up need to work to reduce uh, water scarcity and to increase climate resilience to water related risks so there's really this kind of specific thing about water that water is a big uh, climate risk and that countries need to uh, work towards their climate resilience Um, so that's the good news that's Water is present at COP. Um, but for me, it kind of stops there. <laughs> um, you know, so I said there was a water day at COP and the water day was centered around sort of three themes. Mm-hmm. Uh, water and food. So, you know, water resilient food systems. Uh, urban water resilience, which I think for us is maybe the most important thing, right? So that's... the
1: topic, actually. That was the yeah. topic, but was, again, a bit disappointed.
0: Exactly, yeah. So, um, yeah. So from, from my perspective, water and food... Got all the uh, attention, um, which is good. I mean, we need f- water resilient food systems, but from the sort of the utilities perspective, it's kind of not really necessarily the kind of thing that that that, that will mean that they will get sort of some more financial um, aid. Um, so, yes, yeah, so there's very little announcements on urban water resilience, a few here and there, some some announcements from the British government, they're going to provide a few million here. Um, but it was really kind of quite limited and and, and there wasn't a lot on the utilities. Um, and I think that that's really the key point here is that, you know, there's a lack of announcements on urban water resilience and that highlights that there's actually no utility attendance, right? Very few utilities attend COP. Um, and although sort of, you know, water was brought to the forefront Um, sort of, you know, of the global agenda this year, right? We had the UN Water Conference back in March. We had COP28 with Water Day. um, But actually the utilities themselves were kind of absent from that conversation almost. They weren't at centre stage. Um, And considering that the utilities are the ones who are actually going to be delivering on these goals, right? So the utilities are the ones who are going to be delivering SDG 6, going to be delivering on net zero. They're going to have to, you know, increase their resilience. Um, All these systems, all this infrastructure is, you know, the, Brunt of the burden is on utilities. It feels a bit, of, a little bit of a shame that the utilities themselves aren't there. So I think that future I'd like to see more utilities at these big conferences.
1: Because you mentioned when it was the first time when this the water topic started to be discussed at the uh, at, at the COP, it was not that long ago. You mentioned twenty. 20- 19, I believe.
0: So it was COP26 in Glasgow um, was when water sort of really broke onto the scene. There was a water pavilion. There was a water day. And you may remember that also uh, that was the year when all of the UK utilities, because the uh, COP was in Glasgow in the UK, uh, mm-hmm. Water UK managed to push this goal um, uh, for their, for all the water utilities to sign up to net zero. So that was kind of the big splash of water was at COP26. And since then, so that you know made us very hopeful as an industry that this was the moment that we were going to talk more about water um but since then yes there's still been a water day yes there's still been a water pavilion but water is still struggling to cut through the noise um at cop for sure
1: precisely because i'm a bit surprised that it it was only in 2022 when the water topic started to be discussed at cop how many cops how many of these type of events have been historically
0: 28 right so this is 20 Uh, cop 28 means it's the 28th cop so
1: 28 (laughs) years years. (laughs) yep 28 years (laughs) and just Couple of years ago, we are discussing water as a exactly, as a yeah. key topic for for yeah. w- within the within the environmental agenda. Mm-hmm.
0: So whether you're an optimist or a pessimist, you can say, "Well, that's great, finally water is here," or you can say, "Oh my gosh, uh, water has only been discussed for the last couple of years, and it's you know we're 20 years in." So
1: <laughs> yeah, to start what the conversation, then let's see how how fast or not that moves. So yep. that would be the thing, because if there has certainly had been topics that have been already in the agenda for, for many years and it still is difficult that they move after being many years in the agenda, in the COP agenda, well, we can we can just hope that yeah this will will, will start to move faster in the water topic.
0: Yep, fingers crossed. We are hopeful.
1: <laughs> well we are hopeful, yes, that's it. Then um moving on, we have an example which may feel a bit far from the European uh reality, but I guess there's there's a learning there. DPR faces some tough road ahead in California. So where they are already um uh, implementing this. So last month in California became only the second United States state to approve the standards for direct potable reuse. Setting these super stringent treatment requirements, which means that uh, in the near term, that will be focused or they will be, pretty much only in the scope of big uh, utilities or larger suppliers, which mm-hmm. is kind of a shame. So tell us more about this.
0: Yeah, that's right. So uh, so yeah, so California became the second US state uh, to uh, basically to adopt regulations that kind of You know, frame direct potable reuse. So it's not, it's not making it legal. It's kind of saying, well, these are, these are the standards that you need to meet to, um, you know, to be able to do direct potable reuse. And so the first state was Colorado, which I think was sometime last year. Um, and so California is the second. Um, and potable reuse has been a discussion in California for a long time, right? So back, even back in the nineties, there have been some, uh, you know, some, They've been wanting to, 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 to do this. Um, and obviously the issue is always with direct potable reuse, right? It's this question of toilet to tap and people get a bit disgusted by the idea of having their wastewater back in their drinking water system. Um, but California has faced such big problems with water scarcity drought. I mean, we've been hearing about this mega drought in California for, what, 10, 10 years now. More, um, yes. Yeah, I think that's really forced um, the issue uh, so, yeah, so they have put in place these these, these regulations. And so, uh, you know, what we're hoping is that that will un, un, unlock the market and enable some plants to, to come to light. But you're right. There are a lot of challenges, one of them being the expense. Uh, it's very expensive to do uh, direct potable reuse. Um, you know, the other thing that they do in California is desalination, which is also struggling because, you know, despite them having water scarcity issues, um, it's very expensive to do. And so it's very difficult.
1: Why is that um, expensive?
0: Why is DPR nope. expensive? Um, it's just all the technologies that you need to to put in place, right? So you have to add uh, tertiary treatment, uh, which are the most, I think, the most expensive water technologies. Um, and also the, although the, these regulations are in place um, and that gives them a framework which is great they are very 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 stringent so as as well as the technologies you need to have a lot of uh, you know monitoring water quality testing in place um to be able to make sure that you're meeting those standards and that the water is safe uh, So to just drink.
1: to start they needs a significant uh, effort in money and resources just to start doing it
0: yes absolutely yes so um there's the there's a plant in uh, LA the pure water um um project which is uh, undergoing and they I think they're already over budget right they have already spent more um, than, than, uh, than they thought they were going to need to spend for this project um, I mean it's a huge it's a huge project it's one of the biggest uh, reuse uh, projects in the world but yeah it's already over budget so it's definitely huge drain on resources um, and actually one of the challenges that California is probably going to have is the fact that this regulation is now in place means that okay so people more people are going to be wanting to do it which means there'll be competition on the market for you know the contract Factors, the supplies, the resources, um, and so that would probably push project prices up because you know everyone wants to do it. So then there are limited people who can actually do this this kind of thing. So it's going to push uh, prices up, which is not ideal.
1: Which is that that's the reason. Okay, prices up, but that's the reason the, the fact that there's there's a, a need for a significant uh, investment just to just to start. Uh, that's why it's limited to just the big players. So yeah. what what the small players or the medium sized players can can expect or just watch and see?
0: Yeah, I think you're right. We'll just watch and see. I think we're going to see some big projects, some expensive projects out there. Um, But I think for the smaller utilities, it's going to be difficult. Although, you know, uh, we have seen utilities maybe band together to to cooperate and have... Mm -hmm. Um, uh, uh, you know, a common plant. And I think that what we're seeing as well is that um, you'll have these big players who will do the direct potable reuse. Um, and rather than it being the utilities themselves, right? So the system is probably going to be that the utilities will sell their wastewater to these direct potable reuse plants, right? And that's actually another challenge that they're seeing is that um, this has, you know, these negotiations have kind of started, and it's actually difficult you know, the negotiations are difficult. The utilities want to sell their wastewater, but it's kind of, there's no sort of process. Nobody's ever really done this before. So it's, it's one of the other challenges as well is that the negotiations have been a bit adversarial, you know, in this kind of transaction of getting the wastewater. Um, so that's another challenge as well is, is, it's like you say, it's going to be big players. They're going to have to cooperate with the utilities to get the wastewater, right? Which is the sort of resource for these, um, direct potable reuse plants. Uh, so, so yeah, it's, it's a long road ahead. I think it's, you know, the regulation was the first step. But we're definitely not at the stage where everyone is drinking uh, direct potable reuse water, for sure.
1: Do we see this happening in Europe anytime soon, this type of regulations coming? What do you think?
0: No. (laughs) No, that's Um, it. (laughs) Okay, let's (laughs) move on. (laughs) No, I think, well, I think that if we look at the long term, um, I think that it it will probably happen at some point. I mean, you know, obviously California has these big water scarcity problems, but we've been seeing in the last few years big droughts happening in Europe, you know, dry riverbeds, something that we're not used to seeing in Europe. And I think that little by little people are starting to think about it but that's very long-term. Currently, um, Europe is at the stage where it's looking at indirect potable reuse. Um, So last year, there were some regulations that came through the European Union um, which would facilitate non-potable reuse, right? So reuse, but that would be used for agriculture and for some industrial uh, processes as well. And during the sort of negotiations for this, um, some people were um, advocating for uh, facilitating indirect potable reuse, which means, uh, right. you know, through groundwater, right? So you're going to treat your water, you're not going to put it straight back into a drinking water plant, but you're going to put it into your aquifer to recharge your aquifer. And then then you're going to use that aquifer to then, um, so there's kind of that environmental buffer is what they call it. So for envir- uh, indirect potable reuse. Um, but there were some concerns for water quality. So uh, that reg- reg- regulation didn't go through, right? So they've got the regulation for sort of agriculture and industrial but the indirect potable reuse is still uh, limited um, on the European stage. So I think there are a few countries that are doing it. Mm -hmm. I've I've heard of some plants in some small pilot plants, like in France, where they're trying to test Mm -hmm. out indirect potable reuse. Um, But yeah, that's, you know, an indirect potable reuse is something that they've been doing in California for a long time. They've been doing in Australia for a long time. Um, And in Europe, it's only just sort of starting. Um, So I think we're a long way in Europe from direct potable reuse for sure. But, you know, um, what's happening in, in in California is a good example. We can see the challenges. We can see what regulations, you know, and maybe learn from the US when, at some point down the line, Europe might want to um, do uh, direct potable reefs.
1: Yeah, we want to go also that uh, that route. But mm. as said, as you said, well, nothing coming in the short mid term. So well, let's let's wait and see.
0: Yeah, let's watch watch California and, and learn. Watch and also, California.
1: Yeah. <laughs> the ones that cannot. Just sit, wait, and see. Are many companies actually in Europe? uh regarding the corporate sustainability reporting directive,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: uh, this is kind of a yeah another another biggie here. Like thousands of companies uh, will have now to start assessing their water impact under the new European Union standards uh, that is kicking already this month. And the as the European Union implements most of this ambitious sustainability reporting requirements um some sources as as we have been reading um have suggested that this is likely to d- uh, drive practical action towards improved industrial water management okay that sounds fine however the water industry experts are a bit worried that these standards may end up creating an unexpected burden on uh, on the overstretched already overstretched water utility services so tell us more about this.
0: Yeah, exactly. This is this is for me huge news. I'm surprised that this isn't like frontline news. Um you know, just not even in the water space but across uh, across news. Um so yeah, so the uh corporate sustainability reporting directive basically um is uh companies are going to have to uh report on their you know, corporate sustainability um uh, so that's greenhouse gas emissions, pollution, water use, uh, social responsibility as well, right? And it's, uh, you know, it's huge. It's one of the largest, most ambitious obligatory reporting standards in the world. Mm -hmm. Um, So as you said, starting with the big companies and so this year and then next year, it will be smaller companies, uh, depending on number of employees, uh, basically. So I think it's starting this year with, uh, companies over 500 employees. Um, and there might be a, yeah, revenue.
1: there's a, there's a series. I, I read in the, in the, in the article that you shared, there's mm-hmm. a series of requisites, large companies, more than 500 employees, uh, over other large companies with over 250, but 50 million euros of net revenue or 25 million in total asset value. There, there's a That's bunch of right. uh, combinations yeah um, there are all
0: these categories exactly for the but for the maybe
1: yeah what what we'll do because this is very very detailed and yeah we may put a link on the show notes so to this to this source where we can uh, yeah that you can check exactly. more, which is the case uh, that they, they they applies to them
0: yeah so if you want more detail about the different categories yeah you can definitely go check out that article um so yeah so in broad terms you have to report on your sustainability, uh, which is. Uh, You know, it's, and it's, you have to report on your own, your company, what they're doing. Um, but you also have to look at your value chain, right? So your supply chain. So, um, and that's something that's really important as well, right? So it's not just how you're polluting, but if you're buying something from someone who's polluting, or if you're, you know, um, you, if they, maybe you might have, you know, some human rights abuses in your supply chain as well. And that's something that will come to light. So it's really a huge reporting standard. Um, and also, so when it comes to water, one of the really interesting things is so companies will have to report on their you know their water impact, but they also need to look at the financial impact of water on them right so whether, for example, you might be a food and beverage company, you might be i don't know producing crisps or something, mm. and, and you know if there's some water scarcity where you get your uh, potatoes from uh, that might be an issue for you so you kind of need to look at not just your impact on water but the impact the water is having on your business. Um, and that's really, really important because um, that means that, you know, industries will have to get more involved in mitigating those impacts, right? So they're gonna if you know say, oh, actually, well, if there's water scarcity in this area, this is going to cost us millions of euros, um, you know, in our in our business. And so that means that they might get more involved and not take water for granted so much. I think that in the industrial world has kind of you know, been a bit, um, maybe a bit uh, flippant with their water use. And so maybe this is something that will kind of get them more involved um, in, in, in mitigating those, those impacts. Um,
1: because there, there's one thing here that I am spotting uh, that is uh, in order to meet some of these requirements of these uh, reviews, uh, if, if the company needs to um, fix or needs to adapt something in their operations, that means that there may be highly likely maybe a financial impact in the company that is one thing which of course needs to be reported on the financial statements of that company. So this, this is going very far indeed.
0: Exactly. And that's what I think. I mean, I'm getting excited about this because it means that, like you say, because there's that financial impact that, 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 you know, that number in euros, you know, about how much this is going to cost, that will really make the companies sit up and pay attention to this because, you know, oh, you can talk about water impacts and water scarcity and you don't really know what it means. But if you see that number, as you say on a balance sheet, like this is your risk, you know, um, I think that that's something that will really make the, the companies pay attention to, to, to their water impacts and the water and the impact water is having on them as well. Uh so so yeah it's you're right it goes very far and it's uh, and also there's a legal um you know it's legally binding right so if you don't comply with these reporting standards that could have consequences as well. Um you could you know you could have uh, some I, I don't I don't think there have they've announced fines but there's definitely some kind of le- legal component to non compliance with these standards. So uh, it's it goes quite far and it's it's I don't know it's I think it's a good thing. It's a really big news uh, for 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 the water industry.
1: It's, it's indeed big news. Yeah. When well, quantifying the water's financial risk, if we can put it that way. Well, mm-hmm. unfortunately, only when the money is involved, that's, that's when we react or when the companies or the board of directors make, that's when they really react when they see their, their financial situation or an impact on their financial situation. So that is, okay. On one side, if there's no pressure from monetary, from the monetary side, they don't do anything only when this comes. Okay. That would, that would make, uh, I guess that will make a good case that they, they proceed with this. Yeah. All these um, water-related uh, disclosures related to the CSRD, um, because I have been here. And again, we, we may put a link to explain all these things, what is exactly, um, which are the subjects, the subject matters that are including this. There are four, five categories that include climate change, pollution, water and marine resources, biodiversity and ecosystems mm-hmm. and circular economy yeah so famous circular economy so the, it's quite um quite comprehensive this Absolutely. and the, yeah we recommend that go go and check that uh directly on on the link that we are going to put on the um on the show notes um anything else that the, that we can elaborate on the or to conclude this topic.
0: Yeah, I think that so, so. Something really important to talk about is the impact this is going to have on water utilities, right? Right, so yeah,
1: because they are companies anyway. Exactly. I mean, private or public, yes, but if, regardless of the line of business, a company that that meets the require the the requisites should fulfill these requirements. In exactly. the case of water utilities.
0: Yep, so water utilities are included in this. Um, at the moment, uh, because it's the larger companies, there aren't so many because water utilities tend to be quite small, but there are some, especially- some big ones uh, in Germany, there are some uh, uh, that are definitely included in this. Um, and so there are kind of two uh two aspects to this, right? So there's the ones that are directly impacted, like you say, that are, you know, they are companies, they're included in, in this uh reporting directive. Um, and that means that they're gonna have to start uh you know reporting all these things. Um and a lot of utilities are sort of worried that this is gonna put an extra burden on them because I think that, you know, big companies are already doing, they've already been doing CSR reporting for quite a while, Mm -hmm. right? So they can maybe take this into their stride. Utilities, it's not necessarily something that they have been doing very much from the water side, it's probably fine, but it's all these other aspects, right? The greenhouse gas emissions, the social responsibility, um, all these different things, which they might not be be collecting data on already. And so that's gonna put another extra reporting burden on them, which is quite difficult. Um, So, you know, consultants out there, (laughs) you might have an opportunity here to, 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 you know, to provide some help to water utilities. but it's not just the big utilities who are directly impacted. It's also the smaller utilities, because in fact, as you as I mentioned before, it's not just the companies directly. It's also their whole value chain. And so you as a water utility, you might be included in that value chain of one of these big companies. Right. As a, you know, you might be, you know, have some kind of agreement with. I have no idea. Coca-Cola to provide water to them or something like that as a small municipality. And then that would, you know, include you in the value chain of that company and mean that you would have to also start, um, you know, collecting data to provide to your, uh, to your industrial partner, um, that you would be part of their value chain. So that's the, the other component as well. So there's the direct impact and then the indirect impact on the smaller utilities who are part of a value chain. Um, and I think that, yeah, they're a little bit worried about this. Um, but, I think they're just going to have to, you know, take it in their stride and hire some good uh, consultants and and try and figure it out.
1: I'm talking about consultants because actually that is a hint, hint. Uh, We will have an expert on CSRD, a consultant that specifically helps companies on this. So stay tuned, urbanistas, because... We will deep dive into this topic uh, in a, a few weeks. We will drop that episode, so you don't want to miss that if you want to really deep dive into requirements and the intricacies and what does it mean financially and legally for for your company, whether utility or not. So, yeah, that's state, stay tuned unit on that. Then, staying in Europe, um, it looked like in Germany, uh, they are looking for new ways to close this sludge management gap Uh, So what is this about?
0: Yeah, so this is an interesting sort of update, I guess, on, on the regulations in Germany. Um, so uh, back into 2015, uh, there's regulation came into effect in Germany about mm-hmm. uh, sludge. So it was kind of like twofold. So one part was that utilities would no longer be able to dispose of their sludge through land spreading, right? Which mm-hmm. is something quite common practice in Europe, I think, uh, just to sort of, you know, um, give your sludge to agriculture and sort of spread it on land. Um, and so the, and the other component is that they had to recover phosphorus from sludge, right? So you've got to not dispose of your sludge through lengthening and you've got to recover phosphorus from sludge. Um, so in theory, it's quite uh, good because you basically, what you're going to do is you're going to incinerate your sludge. Mm-hmm. instead of spreading it on land and then you can recover the phosphorus from the ash uh, that's left-, left over from that incineration so in theory it's kind of a nice uh tied up in a nice little bow and uh utilities had until uh, so depending on the size of the utility either 2029 or 2032 to uh you know uh fulfill this uh this this new this new requirement um and also it was kind of a good idea for the phosphorus as well, because uh, Germany and quite a lot of Europe depend on uh, uh, importing uh, phosphorus. Um, and this would have provided a sort of self-sufficient supply uh, to, to the country. So it was, it was, you know, it seemed like a good idea. Um, but at this point, so we're sort of halfway through the, the, the time limit for this regulation. And it seems that utilities are not on track to meet the targets. Um, and that means that, so... Uh, environment ministers have kind of launched this call to action to try and get utilities to accelerate their uh their investment. Um so I've got a few numbers I mean I think again there's an article which I think we'll put in the in, in the show notes mm-hmm. where you can go and have a look at that um at the uh numbers uh and, and the charts. But roughly uh Europe uh, sorry Germany needs there's about 1.5 roughly 1.6 million
1: 1.667 million, I mean, 1.6 million thousand, 1, 1.6 million tons.
0: tons. Yeah, that's right. What uh, yeah, to give, we nice.
1: put a bit of context in this, the dimension of this, of this thing. And for the most part is incineration or co-incineration. And as you may say, the land re- recycling has been, uh, reducing significantly since 2017 to, well, 2022. Which is That's the, latest right, data yeah. we so have. They here. have
0: managed to reduce, uh, land, uh, land spreading quite significantly. We're not quite there yet. I think the chart says there's still like over 300, uh, 300, uh, million tons that need to be, um, sorry, 300,000 tons that need to be, uh, still, uh, you know, put into incineration rather than, uh, than, than land, uh, filling. Um, but I think so. It's interesting to see. So the, the incineration part, they're kind of there. They're kind of on track. There's still some work to do, but sludge is being incinerated more. Um, But it's kind of that next step, which is the phosphorus recovery, which Mm. is really uh, kind of not on track. So um, there are a couple of reasons to this. Um, First of all, phosphorus recovery technology, uh, it does it does exist and it has been proven to work. um, So from from the ash. Uh, but it's kind of working on a small scale and it's sort of unclear how well it works at a larger scale. So the larger scale that Germany would need. And utilities are a little bit hesitant to commission plants because, you know, maybe these plants will have teething problems. It'll probably be quite expensive and nobody wants to be the first one to sort of, you know, go into this and and... and And take the risk, I guess, that that, that it might not uh, work perfectly in in the first instance. Um, So there's obviously a cost issue. And that cost issue is compounded by the fact that it's kind of unclear whether the utilities are allowed to raise their wastewater tariffs to pay for this, right? So different, you know, Germany is a federal state. And so different States are saying different things about whether you can raise your wastewater tariffs to pay for this extra expense of phosphorus recovery. So the utilities are like, mm, we're not really quite sure if we want to want to do this yet, and well, so that's not really interesting. Yeah,
1: they're kind of in the middle, so they need to to comply, or uh, they they, they would like to do all these things, but that implies cost. Implies cost. Exactly. Then, but that cost should come from somewhere, raising the tariffs. But then that has also a political yes mm-hmm. and a social impact so raising yep. the tariffs for the people uh that is not popular either so then yeah what utilities are in a really tough position
0: yeah i think it's, it's it's a conversation we've had you and i before delphin about this question about you know all these great technologies all these great things circular economy it's great but it costs so much money and the utilities are always sort of uh you know find it difficult to invest. Like you say, tariffs are political. It's hard to raise tariffs, um, to, to pay for it. And so where, do, the question is, you know, where, where does the money come from for this? Um, so, so yeah, so. You know, and the government ministers are sort of seeing this, and they're asking utilities to get on track. So maybe that will unlock a little bit of funding to help, uh, but uh, it's 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 not it's not a given, and uh, yeah, so we'll see how uh, how this evolves.
1: Well, let's see how this this uh, topic develops. Mm-hmm. Talking about water utilities in tough situations, we have some well, some some story involving legal items in Sweden. Water utilities in Sweden, uh, yeah, tell us more about this.
0: Yeah, so this is our PFAS story, um, and you know PFAS is always always something to talk about uh, when it comes to PFAS. And so uh, yeah, there's been a lawsuit uh, in a small so it's a small town in in Sweden where the residents uh, sued their local water utility um, for you know uh, personal injuries due to PFAS contamination, right? So the mm-hmm. residents were saying our water was contaminated by PFAS, and that has had a detrimental effect on our health. And so they're suing the water utility. And in this case, the uh, residents won the case right? So that the courts said, yes, you know, it is the water utilities fault. Um, and so I think that for me, at least, this sets quite a dangerous precedent for water utilities, if the responsibility for PFAS contamination can be laid at their Door, I think it's going to be very difficult. You know, we keep talking about extra burdens for utilities, extra water, you know, I don't know, reporting uh, burdens, investment burdens. And if they're also going to be have to, you know, having to pay money to, for lawsuits with people, um, uh, who are, who are, uh, taking them to court due to PFAS contamination, um, it's, it's really quite a tricky situation. And, and, uh, I think what's interesting to note is that it's, this isn't the only kind of lawsuit that's exi- that exists. Uh, there are also some lawsuits in Sweden where the utilities have been suing. So in this case, it's the uh, Army Corps um, for PFAS contamination because a lot of the contamination comes from uh, firefighting foam. Right. So you know, if you're fighting a fire, they've got this foam, and it actually contains PFAS, and then that gets into the water system. And so in this case, the water utilities are saying, "No, it's not our fault. It's the fault of these, uh, you know, of the of the army who are using these firefighting yeah, exactly foam from,
1: from where they initially the the chemical initially came from. There you exactly. go.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, and then the third case, uh, which so this is happening in, in the United States, uh, but this also happened a couple of months ago. So the small, this small town in in Wisconsin, uh, they're suing the PFAS manufacturers, right? So they've got this big lawsuit against 3M, DuPont, uh, and all these chemical manufacturers, who are the people who are actually creating the, FIFA, the PFAS in, in mm-hmm. the first place, right? So it's like, you know, the water utilities, yes, they're they should, you know, they're in charge of drinking water quality, but actually it's been contaminated by the firefighters, but actually, it's not the firefighters' fault. Maybe it's the fault of the chemical companies who have actually created these. Uh, who PFAS. provide the
1: what are we, extinguisher agent that continues to be
0: Exactly, who've created the chemicals in the first place, right? And so that's the argument that this town in Wisconsin is saying that, you know, they're not suing a local uh, industrial plant. They're suing the manufacturer as a whole for creating these chemical compounds in the first place. Um, and this town in Wisconsin, they've, uh, you know, they have, I uh, think, uh, three or four drinking wells, which are all contaminated with PFAS. And they've estimated that their costs for you know, upgrading their drinking water plant, et cetera, to, uh, you know, to uh, solve this contamination is about $65 million, which is huge for this small town, right? It's yeah, quite, of course. quite small. And so their argument is that actually, we shouldn't be paying for this. The chemical companies who created these PFAS compounds should be paying for this. Uh, hence their lawsuit where they're trying to get basically cons- compensation um, so I think that, you know, it's interesting to see the different, uh, you know, countries, the different lawsuits where the responsibility for compensation lies. Um, but, you know. Personally I think that, you know, going back to the manufacturers and also, you know, they're big companies, they have a lot of money and they have a lot of um, capacity to absorb these demands for compensation, whereas a small utility is probably gonna be quite it's gonna be a struggle to uh to, to pay. Because those.
1: the situation we just we just explained before that they are like a stretch already between they're in between exactly. investment and not having the money and not being allowed to raise too much of the tariffs. So well, I guess, Absolutely. I guess that would be one, one my point to go with. Um or to motivate, to say it in a nicer way, to motivate the producers of all these chemicals to reduce them, or to change them, or um, to do something in, in mm-hmm, the exactly. end.
0: Exactly. Yeah, I think 3M has said that they will, they are going to be phasing out, um, you know, the PFAS that they're not going to produce it anymore, um, which is great because you know this town in Wisconsin is not the only people, not the only town who've sued. They're the first one to sue them directly. There have been some other uh, groups of people who have sued their chemical companies for PFAS contamination. Um, so yeah, so it, it is making an impact. Like I said, they're trying to phase out the production, but the reality is that the PFAS is already there, and so and someone's going to have to pay for that cleanup. Uh, So we're hoping it's going to be the people who created the PFAS and not the ones who are, you know, um, charged with cleaning it up.
1: Well, that's when comes innovation for those manufacturers. Well, that's what they uh, to, to apply innovation and changing or modifying to make it this less dangerous. Exactly, yeah.
0: Yeah, we want creative destruction. We want new... new Creative destruction, that
1: is the topic. (laughs) That will be the title of this. Well, let's see. (laughs) Talula, thank you so much. This has been, as always, a blast. A lot of information. Yes, we know for you urbanists, there's a lot of information, a lot of details. But that's why we will have um, the show notes with all the details there and the links to the respective sources, if, if you can, if you want to check uh, all the small letter and all the data and what applies to you and what. Well, what are you planning to do directly? Whether you are a designer, urban planner, or you work for a utility, how do you see this? How you take uh, and how are you going to take? action for this. Thank you so much, Sarula.
0: That's great. Thanks so much, Jelfen. It was great.
1: Thank you very much, Urbanistas, and see you next time.
0: Thank you for listening to the Urbanista podcast, a production of Upono Infra, the leader in sustainable infrastructure solutions. If you found it interesting, why don't you share it with your colleagues? We all together can move our industry forward.